Morning. How are y'all? Good. All three of you. That's good. All right. We got a rambunctious crowd today, right? Hey, it's good to be here with y'all. It is a joy um, to be here this morning. Uh, As a quick note too, um, just in your bulletin, on the upper left-hand side, there's always like a calendar of events that are going on. And so different things that we may or may not announce during the Sunday, you can kind of find those there in your bulletin. Um, And also on the back of your communication card, there's always a place to sign up for stuff, even if you just want more information. And so uh, we would love once again for families to do backyard Bible clubs. We also have things going on like uh, an evangelism class coming up in June or we have a a mission trip to Xi'an, China that uh, in actuality if you want to go uh, the deadline is coming up rather quickly and so you might want to check the back of your communication card sign up for that but there's just different things kind of going on and so uh, please make sure you just kind of check that and uh, pay attention so that you can kind of know what's going up with that. Um, All right, before I start, uh, today is a special day, and so I want to take a few minutes in here uh, to recognize the mothers. And so uh, if you are a mother in here, would you stand up, please? I know you weren't ready for this, but not you, Chris. All right, there we go. Thank you. Hey, love on the moms, yes. Hey, remain standing, remain standing, remain standing, remain standing. Um, if uh, it weren't for you all, um, well, in about 90 or 100 years, the earth would cease to exist. We literally need you for our existence, right? Um, but we definitely appreciate you um, and are very thankful for all that you do for us. Now, I have a confession and kind of an acknowledgement uh, to make at the same time. Um, I deeply wish that there was a day that was called Woman's Day. All right. And I mean that, okay? I'm not just saying that to get brownie points from the women. All right. I actually mean that. There is? A woman's day? It's going to be today here at the well, all right? That's what it's going to be. (laughs) I did not know that, all right? But um, as I was thinking about Mother's Day and thinking about um, what the world tries to do to our women, um, often uh, belittling them or trying to use them or trying to kind of tamper down who they are, thinking about Satan and how much he tries to tempt and deceive and crush and kind of uh, overpower our women. Man, we love you guys a whole lot, and I mean that. Um, I know, too, that with Mother's Day, there's hurt sometimes because you desire to be a mom, or even us this last year, we lost a kid to a miscarriage, and that's always hard, and there are just different um, things. Maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your mother or something, and so here's what I want to do. I actually want all the women in the room to stand up, okay, Um, every one of you, and I want to say that we are very, very, very grateful for you. Here's actually what we're going to do, okay? If you're a woman, stand up. Don't be shy, all right? Um, We want to actually take some time to pray for you. Okay, and so what I want the men to do in the room, and there may be some shifting of seats a little bit, that's okay. Um, If you would go find a woman kind of somewhere around you or a couple of them, and if you would just lay your hands on your shoulder. uh, If you're not a Christian, you're not really sure what we're doing, what we're going to do is just we're going to pray a blessing over them. Um, Everything that we're going to pray, you're probably going to agree with. And so if we can just pray together, I'll lead us in a prayer. But can we just lay a hand on our women and thank them for who they are and for what they've done for us? So go ahead, gather around, find um, a woman somewhere around you. Ladies, if you're kind of situated weird, feel free to get closer to a guy. Um, And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Um, And men, would y'all just agree with me kind of in this prayer as we're praying it together? Uh, To those women who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you and ask that God would raise up that child to be a ferocious and beautiful child in the kingdom of God. That God would use that kid. 
To those of you who have lost a child this year, we mourn with you. And we ask that God would bring healing and faith to your family. To those who are in the trenches every day with little ones and wear the, the, the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. And ask that God strengthens you for the task that he has called you to do. To those who have experienced loss through miscarriage or failed adoptions or running away, we mourn with you. And ask that God would restore and bring forth new hope and his purpose into your life. To those who have walked and are walking the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointments, we want to walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things or, or forget. We don't mean to make it harder than what it is. We ask that God would bring life and that he would be glorified through this. To those who are foster moms or mentor moms or spiritual moms, we need you. We deeply, deeply need you. And we ask that God gives you the grace to mother well, even those children who are not biologically yours. We need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you and praise God for a relationship and love representing what we can have even greater with our heavenly father. We rejoice with you. To those who have disappointment and heartache, distant children, distant from you or distant from the Lord, we sit with you and ask that God would restore your relationship and restore relationship towards him. To those who have lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you and ask that God would highlight his goodness to your family, even through the deepest possible pain. To those who have experienced abuse at the hands of their mothers or distance from their moms, we acknowledge and your experience and mourn deeply over this. We ask that God shows you the true love of a mother through his great love for you and that he would bring other women to tenderly care for you. To those who have lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood and are now empty nesters, we're better for having you in our midst. We pray that your mothering would never stop and that God would still continue to give you strength to mother well. To those who are single and who long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way for you longed it to be yet. We pray that God would reveal to you his greater plan and that he would be a husband to you, that no woman could ever even dream of having a husband like he is, and that he would give you multitudes of spiritual children, that the world would look at you and call you the most blessed amongst women. To those who are young and, and hope to have a, a children of their own one day, we hope with you. And we ask that you would be like the many women in the Bible who God has used greatly to raise up the next generation for his kingdom. To those who step parent, we walk with you on this complex path and ask that God would give you great wisdom in navigating this road. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be yet, we, will, we lament with you. Would God give you an even greater hope and a renewed steadfast spirit of love within you? To those who will be empty nesters in the upcoming couple of years, we grieve and rejoice with you. <laughs> Praise the Lord that he would maintain you for this long and we ask that your relationship would be even stronger through that and that he would give you capacity to pour out. To those who have placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and ask that God guide those children to him as he has done for all of us who are called his. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expectant pregnancies and surprising pregnancies, we anticipate with you. Oh, that God would maintain the health of that young child and use this child one day for his kingdom. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. 
Being a woman is not for the faint of heart and we have real warriors in our midst. We rejoice and we remember with you. God, that you would strengthen our women. Would the well be a place where when the world looks at our church, they would say, wow, they have strong, courageous, ferocious, gentle, loving, compassionate, powerful, beautiful in spirit women in that church. Would they be a reflection of your glory? Would we be a church with women that exalt you? We pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. You can have a seat. Thank you, women and mothers. We love you guys. I know it probably got hot in here in a minute, huh? All those hands being laid on, I apologize. I had to roll up my sleeves before I even came up here, but <laughs> welcome to a church plant, right? All right, so we have a ton to cover today, uh, and we want to go ahead and dive into that. So let's dive right in. Grab your Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 12. Uh, we're not going to move around, so you can uh, camp out in there today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. We say this every week, but we mean it. Please take and keep that Bible. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Bible and to be able to read the Word, and so you could do that. You can also follow along on version. Uh, if you would like to do that. If you have the YouVersion app underneath the tab section where you click on live, type in the well Austin, you'll be able to follow along. Or you could take this link, put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along on your phone if you would rather have that, okay? So just a really quick background about our story before we kind of dive into it. Uh, particularly the past uh, few verses before we jump in will be in verse 20 is where we're gonna start. But Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem, and this is the last week of his earthly ministry on earth, all right? Jesus rode in on a donkey to kind of fulfill the prophecy about himself, and the people were shouting out Hosanna, which means God saves or God save us. And so they're shouting this out to Jesus, anticipating the coming Messiah. They think this may be the one to actually save them. And so in John chapter 12, I actually want to read the, the last two verses before we dive into today's section. John chapter 12, starting in verse 19, it says this, I'm sorry, verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so all eyes are on Jesus now. It says the world is kind of coming after him. They're thinking this may be the ruler. This may be the deliverer. This may be the person to save them from the tyranny of Rome and bring them back to be a people again that everybody is anticipating this coming Messiah. And so there's a lot of anticipation being built up. I joked a few weeks ago that it's like a survivor and Days of Our Lives and ER and Grey's Anatomy, kind of all, like all the tension that's built up in those shows are all kind of happening here at this moment, right? There's all this anticipation, all this tension. The whole world is coming. And so the drama is building and it's thick, it's tense. Everybody's feeling it, all right? And that's kind of where we go. Jesus just came in like a king and said that he was going to rule. And that's where we pick up. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and An uh, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So in the midst of some of this, some Greeks come to see Jesus, okay? Now this would be significant because the Jews actually thought that the Messiah was a Jewish Messiah only. In other words, he would redeem Israel, but he wasn't really for the Gentiles per se. Maybe Gentiles could kind of become Jews a little bit, but it wasn't that Jesus was actually for the whole world. And so the fact that verse 18 says the whole world is kind of coming after Jesus, and then the confirmation of that here in verse 20 where Greeks are truly 
truly coming to see who Jesus is shows that there's a feeling that maybe this isn't just the Jewish Messiah, but actually the Messiah for the whole entire world. Maybe everybody is able to come into him. And so the Greeks come now, they were probably proselytes because they were coming up for Passover. Uh, That just means that they had a sense that Yahweh was the real God. They had a sense that uh, the Jewish people were right, that Yahweh was the God over the world. So even though they were Gentiles, they were coming in, but they couldn't actually go into the temple or into different things. The irony though is that they're coming up to meet God and they're standing here about to talk with him. And so while the Jews were coming up to go to the temple, Jesus was about to tear the curtain from the temple and say, no, you meet God through me. And the Greeks are actually doing that. They have even greater access than the Jews had. For the Jews could have come, but they often stood away. The Greeks are coming right but right to him. But they were Gentiles nonetheless, okay? And so the Pharisees fear in verse 18 is feeding right into the story. The whole world is coming to him. This is actually true. And Jesus in a moment will actually make a very beautiful claim that he's going to try to draw the whole world to himself. That everybody, Jew and Gentile, would actually come into the kingdom, which is why you and I, as Gentiles today, can be worshiping the Lord. Not many of us, maybe not even any of us in this room are from Jewish background, yet we can worship God because Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. In irony though, these men actually seem to be interested in Jesus, the Greeks here, right? Uh, They ask a really good question and they'll even get a good answer here in verse 21. But if you look at it there, they're looking to come to see Jesus, right? As opposed to look at verse 18 again, why were the Jews coming to see Jesus? Right? Read that verse, verse 18. The Jews were coming, it says, to see signs of the Lord. Or they heard that Jesus had done some signs and they were like, that's really interesting. Let's go see who this man is. But the Greeks come and say, sir, we want to see Jesus. Not what he can offer, not what he can give, but we want to see Jesus. And those who eventually didn't believe just wanted to see signs. And so before we even dive into the meat of this text today, I need to ask you an important question and ask you to really check your heart here. Are you seeking Jesus because he's God or because of what he can give to you? Are you seeking Jesus because he's God? Are you seeking Jesus because of what he can give? Are you seeking signs? Are you seeking rewards? Are you seeking Jesus? That's an important question here. Right? It's important for us to wrestle with who, what, what are our heart's intention as we kind of come in our relationship with the Lord, as we pursue the Lord, what are the intentions, what are the motivations of our heart? And so many who were shouting Hosanna were seeking exactly what Jesus could give. So they're shouting, God, save me so that I can receive reward and blessing, so that I can receive glory or freedom, so that I can receive, not so that they can give to the king who actually deserves to be praised, but rather so that their name may be exalted. And for some of you who are still trying to seek or trying to figure out this Christian life, I wanna ask you, what for? What are you trying to figure out? What is it that you're trying to seek? Are you trying to seek a reward? Is Jesus a means to an end, as Bob said last week? Or is Jesus the actual end? Is he what your heart actually craves? Is he what your heart desires? Do you truly wanna try to figure out and know God? Because this will be important in how Jesus actually reveals himself to you. But the same is true also with those of us who have professed faith in Christ, right? Many of us, we have professed faith, but there are all these areas in our lives where we're kind of holding on to different things. We try to protect them away from God. We're not giving ourselves completely to him or we want God for what he can give rather than who he is. We have to seek God for who he is, not just what he can give. 
we have to seek God because he's God and is worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. And so when we read the Bible or when we pray, are we seeking him because of how worthy he is or because we're supposed to do it? And maybe in doing that, he'll actually bless me a little bit, right? He'll give me that relationship or that job or that money or that whatever it is my heart desires. What are we seeking God for? Are we trying to tickle our pleasures with a cool sign or a cool story? Or are we actually trying to figure out who Jesus is and get to know God? And so this is an important question as we kind of dive into the sermon today, right? So happy Mother's Day, by the way. All right, you can tell us to be an uplifting sermon, right? <laughs> Don't blame me, though. It's the text, okay? The text is being honest with our hearts here. Hey, who are you seeking? What are you trying to chase after? Who is God in your life? So the Greeks went to Philip probably because he had a Greek name, okay? Philip may have even spoke Greek. And so Philip then goes to Andrew and Andrew goes and they see Jesus, which by the way is often how evangelism works today, right? There's kind of a team process where everybody's kind of talking a little bit. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Actually, pause right there real quick. There's a dramatic shift that's happening here in this text, okay? Jesus has been saying the hour is coming in the future tense, right? The hour is going to be, it's coming. Now, all of a sudden, the whole sh scene shifts and he says the hour is now here for the son of man to be glorified. This is it. This is the time for the son of man to be tortured, put on the cross, to die, to be buried, and to rise again. The hour is here. And so it's a dramatic shift. And ironically, the Greeks are the one that is seeing this shift, right? 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so the Greeks want to see Jesus, and Jesus said, come and die. Right? The Greeks say, hey, we want to see who this God is, and Jesus said, yeah, cool, come and die. Come and follow me and lose your life. Give up your life, right? And so if, if you knew me, then you'd want to follow me and then you'd be able to come. But in that, you would be giving up of yourself, Christ is saying. You would be giving up your rights, your desires. You would be coming to die. And so let me ask you again, do you really want to see God? Because if you really want to see God, that means death of self. Our own selves desire to be God. And because there can't be two gods, but there's only one God, somebody has to die. And it's not going to be Yahweh God, right? It's going to be us. And so if we want to be where he is, if we want to see who he is, then we have to actually die to ourselves. We have to give up our rights. And so friends, he invites you, but this invitation is to come and die. This invitation is to follow him no matter what it takes. And so now you may be like, well, that doesn't sound very intriguing. And I agree. If left at that, it's like, well, what does that mean, right? And it's not the conventional way to, 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 to gather a bunch of followers and say, hey, come and die. But this is Jesus's message always throughout the gospels. Is he says, hey, come, give up your life and follow me. Jesus is calling us to something beautiful if we realize the end of the message, right? When Jesus says, come and die, if we recognize the end result of that story, he's actually calling us into deep beauty, and to more beauty that could be offered if we try to hold on to our lives. And so Jesus is asking for everything from you if you want to know him completely. To know God completely means to rid of yourself completely. 
If you want to know everything about God, you have to give up everything in order to know him. Jesus is asking for all of you, your whole life, your whole hearts to fully submit to him. So Jesus does indeed want your money, which is coveted and protected by us, right? He wants you to be able to live open-handedly and trust him with it, where he can control that the way he wants to. Jesus wants your relationships, the things that we long for, the things that we desire to have, that we orchestrate ourselves to put ourselves in position. Jesus wants those too. He wants your time. He wants your talents. He wants your devotion, as Bob preached about last week. He wants your desire to come and worship him on Sunday instead of staying at home and watching your Cowboys lose, right? I can say that today because it's not football season, but you know in a few months, the temptation will arise, right? And Jesus says, I want you over that. I need to be more important than this team over here, right? I need to be more important than you're too tired or you're too busy to spend time with me or life is too hectic to spend an hour and a half in corporate worship, Jesus says, no, I want you over that. I want your heart, all of you. I need all of you if you're going to receive all of me. He wants you, you want you to have him over your trials, that your trials can't block you from the Lord as they often do in our lives. Him over, you really like that worship song that we sang or you really don't like that worship song that we sang. So I'm not going to sing it because I don't like that song. Jesus is more worthy than that, friends. Jesus wants you and doesn't care that you don't have that great of a singing voice and the person next to you may be judging you a little bit. Sing out to the Lord, friends. He is worthy. Jesus wants you, right? And so be it petty things like we're talking about right there or the biggest things in our lives, our times, talents, and treasures, our relationships on both sides. Jesus wants all of us. He wants all of our heart to come and know him. He says, if you want to follow me, then you have to come and die. Warren Wearsby says this, if a seed could talk, so he's going on this seed metaphor that Jesus gave, it would no doubt complain about being put into the cold, dark earth. But the way it can achieve its goal is by being planted and dying. God's children are like seeds. We must die to self so that we may live unto God. The only way to have a fruitful life is to follow Jesus Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. Gosh, this is so very true even in my own life right? God has called me to give up my life and to die to him over and over again. And I would have it no other way. I would have it no other way. Now, I will confess, that's easier for me to say on the back end of death, right? Like after I've already died, it's easy for me to say, yeah, that's great. I would love to die, but I'm sure that he's calling me to die even in certain areas right now. And I don't want to die, right? It's hard to give up our lives. It's hard to die for the sake of the Lord, particularly when we don't know if the Lord's good enough right? He's asking for something that's kind of precious to us. Is he even more precious than that thing? That's the essence of faith, by the way, believing that God is that, right? I remember when I was walking to football practice when I was in college, cleats in my hand, coming back off of an injury, and the Lord told me to give up football and to practice or focus on ministry. What <laughs> was my immediate response, right? What, Lord? Like this is even how I got to college was being able to play football. And so I was not like all happy go luckily, like whatever you want, Lord, and skip back to my room, right? Like that's not what happens, okay? I literally all of a sudden acted like a four-year-old. And as I was walking back, I was crying and I threw my cleats on the ground, all right? Don't judge me, okay? Because I know you just did. You've been into a little child at some point in your adult life too, all right? But I was like mad. I threw my cleats down. I was, God, what are you doing? You, I feel like you've called me to this. Look at how many people I'm sharing the gospel with. Look at the influence. And Jesus said, I want you to come and die. 
didn't give me reason, didn't give me like great hope. Like if you do this, then these things will happen. Just said, come, follow me, give it up. And so through tears, I was like, okay. And I had to give it up. And it's the best decision I've ever made to push that away and to, to follow this. A little bit of an exaggeration. One of the best decisions I've ever made. <laughs> because the next thought and story is I remember when he told me to break up in this relationship that I had with this girl. God, what are you doing? What? She's a Christian too. Like she, she loves you too. And I'm wrestling and wrestling. And I feel God pressing over and over. Break up, break up. I mean, praise the Lord that I did that. Because <laughs> that's the best decision I've ever made, right? If you're a Calvinist, if you're an Arminius, then that's the second best decision I've ever made, all right? <laughs> that joke was for the Christians, all right? But all right, it was hard though. It was hard to actually break up. I remember when he called me to repent publicly to some friends, okay? I remember when he called me to kill certain sins in my life, to, 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 to gain a grip on my loose tongue that would so often spew out violence and, and jokes and hatred and to, to kill that. That was hard to do, right? Or to wash my enemy's feet, which he called me to do once, to trust him with my brother's salvation, to move to Austin, to plant a church with 11 people and two married folks, our oldest person being 30 years old. Like that doesn't seem like that's successful, God. But boom, call, come and die, come and die. I need you to follow me, Jesus says. And I can give example after example after example. And every single one of those, it's been beautiful on the back end where I've trusted and obeyed and laid down my life for Jesus. Jesus is calling you, friends, to come and die, to give up yourself, your rights, your possessions, your talents, whatever it may be, that he may use them and or exalt you so that he may glorify his name through you, right? He lifts up Moses so that a whole world can see God through Moses or through Daniel or through his son, Jesus. God wants to use you to show himself off, to make much of himself. And so every moment of death is an actual moment for life. So Jesus uses this metaphor of the seed because isn't this true in our lives? When we die, it becomes more beautiful. When the seed dies, it comes with more and more life. But if it tries to like protect itself like a little seed, isn't that a very lame existence? Like if it was just a singular little seed and it didn't want to do anything with itself, it just tried to protect itself and be a little tiny seed. What is that? Right? Like, I know uh, for Mother's Day, some churches uh, give gifts to the moms. We're a church plant, so that ain't happening for a few years. Get used to it, ladies, all right? <laughs> At some point, maybe. But imagine if I walked in and gave every mom like a little tiny seed. And it was a seed that was uh, not able to, to reproduce. So it's not like you can go plant it in your backyard and it would be an orange tree one day, all right? It's just a little seed. That's what I gave you feel kind of lame, wouldn't it? <laughs> Unless I made some weird spiritual metaphor, like this is a mustard seed and with a little bit of faith, God could do big things, right? That's about the only redemptive value in that, okay? Just a seed means nothing, but, but when that seed gets buried and dies, oh, what fruit it produces. If I could somehow give every mom like your favorite fruit tree in your backyard, wouldn't that be sweet, <laughs> right? Because that seed died and produced so much more fruit. It produced homes for the birds and, and the animals. It produced fruit for humans. It produced oxygen so that we can actually breathe and live, right? It produces shade for the humans. It produces so much beauty. When that seed dies, it both glorifies God through that death and gives other people a blessing through that death. It helps other people. So your death is also for you to have God and to give life to other people. God's calling you to come and die for his sake and for the sake of others. And so let me ask you, are you looking for comfort or for casualty? 
What are you seeking Jesus for? Comfort or death? Are you looking to kind of protect yourself or are you looking to pour yourself out for his sake and for the sake of others? Now listen, Jesus does not pretend like this was easy, by the way. Okay? He didn't say that this would be really easy. He actually knew it would be hard. But this is the call of the Christian to give up your life for the sake of God and for the sake of others, just like Jesus Christ gave up his life for the sake of God and for the sake of others. And praise the Lord that he did, because once again, that's why we're sitting in here today, worshiping him. Now, here's what you should be feeling. All right? One or two things. And I know that. You should be feeling, A, skip that. I'm about to give up my life. Maybe it's not uh, as ghetto of a version. All right? forget that. I can't see myself doing that. Okay, maybe that's your, all right, but whatever it is, I'm not trying to give up my life for this guy. I'm not trying, I don't know if I can actually do that. I like my life. I like what I have. I like what I built myself up for, and you'll try to protect your life. You could be feeling that, or this sounds kind of good. I can kind of see where this is coming from, but this sounds like it's hard. It sounds a little bit scary. It sounds a little bit uh, concerning. I don't like not knowing the future. I don't. And maybe an emotion of, you know, fear or, or, or anxiety for anticipation is coming up. And if you're in the latter camp, I would actually have the best news in the world for you. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this, or, but I'm sorry, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said, it has thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. If the question in your mind is, that's hard, how do I do this, or, or how do I make this work, how do I give up, listen, you are in great company, great company, because this call was hard for Jesus too. To follow the Father and come and die, this was a hard call for Jesus. Do you see that? Here in this text, the call for the Son of Man to lay down his life and to die for the sake of others, to take on the wrath of God, to be separated from the Father was not an easy call for Jesus. He didn't skip to the cross happy-go-lucky. Right here in his last ministry hour and while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, God, if there's another way, then do that other way. This was hard for the Son of Man. Yet he followed God and died. He gave up himself if this is hard for your friends, you're in good company because Jesus went through the exact same thing. This is why Hebrews 4, chapter 15 says, you do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with you in your weaknesses, but one who in every way was tempted as you are tempted, yet without sin. That last part is the key for us, right? Jesus too had to do all the things that he's calling us to do, yet Jesus did it per uh, perfectly. Jesus came and laid down his life to perfection. This was hard for Christ, yet Christ did it. He laid down his life. He gives himself up so that there may be much fruit being born. And there sure was. Every single man and woman who professes Jesus as Christ is a fruit for the Son of Man who died so that we may know him. Christ went and gave up his life. This was hard for him. And so listen, Jesus is not just our atonement, though he is our atonement. He is the person who makes us right with God, but he's also our example. 
Jesus is both our, our sacrifice, our atonement, and our example of what it looks like to follow God. It was hard for him, yet he gave up his life. My old football coach used to say, I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't already done. I used to be like, yeah, right, dog, <laughs> right? This dude couldn't run a, a lap without having me sent to the ER, okay? But Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't already done. Matter of fact, Jesus, in perfection, not only laid down his life and, and came and died, but he died ultimately, he died fully, he died completely. He actually took on the wrath of God that you and I would never have to face. Throughout the Gospel of John, he says, if you follow me, if you believe in me, you actually won't die. You won't die. Why? Because Jesus already died. So Jesus went to the full extent and asked us to begin to follow him in that both our atonement and our example. Jesus was completely sold out to the Father. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? And listen, by the way, Jesus didn't have to show off the Father like this to them because do you remember who we're talking to here? Greeks, right? Jesus was Jewish and came for the Jews first and then the Gentiles, but Jesus is actually revealing a great glory of the Father. Not many people heard the voice of God, but, but the Greeks did here. Now, some said it thundered and some said an angel spoke to him, but Jesus said, I'm trying to show you the Father. I'm trying to reveal the Father to you. And then he says there in verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. You know what the Greek word all means? It means all, all right? There's no trick there. You can't jump through loops. It means everybody, Jews, Greeks, rich, poor, Samaritans, the righteous or the sinner, the person who thinks they're too good for God or doesn't think they're good enough for God, God wants to draw all people to himself because he followed the Father in perfection and went to go die on the cross that you may bear fruit as well. I love verse 31 too. It's such a paradox. The whole Christian life is just a giant paradox, I feel like, right? What seemed like the greatest victory for Satan it's actually the judgment of this world, the judgment of him, the ruler of this world. He thought killing the son of man would be the greatest defeat in reality. Now through his death, we can have life. It was actually his greatest victory. And so he calls the same thing for us. Lay down your life. That feels hard. That feels like a great defeat. But through that, there's the greatest victory. For in that, God can fully use us. For in that, we actually get to see him for the fullness of who he actually is. If we give our lives for his sake, we actually save our lives. But if we try to save our lives, we lose them. So this is the essence of faith. Do you think God is worth it? Do you think he's good enough? Or do you think that the life that you have is actually more valuable than the life that he could give you? You can't fully know this until you fully surrender to him, by the way which makes it hard. But Jesus didn't say it'd be easy. This is faith, right? Verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die, which was on the cross, lifted up. And so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Which by the way, great question. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. They asked a really good question. They thought the Messiah was supposed to stay forever. And you can definitely conclude that through the scriptures. It looks like when the Messiah comes, he sets up rule and reign. And so they asked him an honest question, but Jesus gives a good answer, which as a simple side point, if you're truly trying to seek God and who he is, ask questions of him. It's good to ask questions of God. 
Now, sometimes in the Gospels, people ask questions, but they're just trying to set Jesus up. And I have a lot of friends like that, right? I have a lot of friends like that. God was talking to this week, trying to, he just kept asking questions, but he wasn't trying to figure out who God was. He just was mad. And so Jesus usually kind of skirts around those. But when you truly seek, when you really want to know God, when you're not coming to see signs, but you're coming to see Jesus and you ask good questions, the Lord wants that from you and he answers you. Right Now, the funny thing is that the Pharisees have missed the, missed the uh, spiritual and have replaced it with the physical through the whole book, right? If you've been here at least once throughout the Gospel of John, I probably said that. Look, they're missing the spiritual and they're replacing it with the physical. But these Greeks, in irony, because they're seeking Jesus, they get the spiritual metaphor. They don't say, what does the seed mean? What, I don't understand that, like the Pharisees would often do, right? I don't know why I made them sound like that, all right? But... They came and they said, hey, I, I get it. I get that you're saying you're going to die, but, but wait, who is the son of man? I thought he was supposed to stay. Great question. Great question. You can ask your questions to God. The Greeks, the most unlikely people to be saved and to follow Jesus are seeming to grasp who he is. And this could be true for you too. The most unlikely person to follow Christ, God can save you. If you think you're too far gone from God, you're the exact person he wants to save. If you think you're not eloquent enough or good enough or righteous enough or you don't know what I've done in my past or I don't really, you're an exact great candidacy for the love of God. God tends to save people who are like this, the unexpected. Not just save them, even use them for his glory. Christ's answer to the people is, hey, while I'm present with you, believe me and follow me. That's what he's saying. He doesn't walk into the eschatological uh, things that are going on here. He doesn't try to explain to them the cross. And the, he says, look, while I'm with you right now, follow me and it will make sense to you. If you follow me right now, while the light is with you, you're going to realize, oh, this was a spiritual release from captivity. And then Jesus is going to return and they're going to actually grasp it and get it. I don't think it's a mistake that there were a lot of Greek believers in the New Testament before some missionaries even went out amongst them. It seems like some of them probably believed. So Christ is answering a lot of us in the same way. He's saying, hey, believe in me and follow me. Believe in me and follow me. Some of you don't know Jesus and the light's right in front of you. Believe in him. Give up your life. It's not that great. And even if it is, you die in 80 years. Jesus says, why would you try to protect that? Give it up so you may have eternal life, so you may have light in me, life in me, hope and joy in me. Love is standing in front of you. He tells them, come and believe in me. And the same is true with us Christians. Some of us Christians are trying to hold on to our lives, right? We're like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. That's gonna kill you. Maybe not literally, like it killed them. But as you try to hold on to your lives, it's gonna kill you in the end. Give yourself up to completely to Jesus. He may be even convicting you of something right now. I pray that he is. Give it up for him. He's worth it. He's worth it. I'm going to read the next 12 verses, or the, um, sorry, the next, uh, yeah, 12 verses, just to finish out the text here. And be faithful with it. And here's what I want to do, okay? Because the sermon's essentially over. The word believe is used nine times in these next 12 verses. As I'm reading them, uh, the, I want you to think about your own life, Okay? I want you to think about where you are and sort of either holistically, maybe your whole spiritual man or individual parts of your life. How is it that you can give up more of yourself to come to know who Jesus is? 
Maybe trust him with your salvation, trust him with your soul, or trust him with your relationships, or trust him with your time, or trust him with your job, whatever it may be. So as I'm reading this, I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to you through it. Verse 37, which by the way, verses 44 through 50 are the last thing Jesus says publicly, which probably means they're of importance, all right? One last gospel call. 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, not whispered out, not, he cries out. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come, into the, or I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words and has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What is the commandment of God? Eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. A number of basic themes in John's gospel run throughout this message. Can you put up that next slide? God sent his son, he says in verse 44. To see the son means to see the Father. He says that over and over and over and over again, right? Jesus is the light of the world and he has the very words of God. He has truth dwelling within him so that we may know God, the God of the universe, where our hearts are crying out, I wanna know who God is. Jesus says, I have the words of God. I can reveal God to you. Faith in him brings about that salvation that you could be saved from your sins, saved from your burdens, saved from yourselves and to come to know who he is and to reject him is to face eternal judgment. In fact, the very word that he spoke will judge those who have rejected him. And so don't reject life, love him, follow him, lay down your life, come and die so that you can come and live. Come and die so you can come and live. When you reject him, what you're saying is, I don't want Jesus. That's what you're saying when you reject God, when you reject Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I don't want him. I don't want to give up my life. I don't want him. And it says, he's not even gonna judge you in the last day. It's kind of like he's hitting a tape recorder of your life and you'll get to heaven and he'll press play and you'll say, I don't want Jesus. He'll say, okay. Your own word has condemned you. You had the ability to believe and you said, I don't want Christ. And you reject him and you'll push him away. You'll be separated, eternal judgment because of that. This is actually, by the way, the very fear of hell. Not flames, not, but separation from Jesus. 
from love and from light and from joy and from life. This is how valuable we hold Christ, that even the suffering, that's not what we are afraid of. We're afraid of not having him. True joy, true love, true life. This is Jesus. He says, I'm here for you. Come and follow me. How precious it is to know Christ. And so if you're a Christian, Jesus says, hey, come and die. But he's not asking you to do something that he hasn't already done. He died for you, laid down his life that you may taste fruit. So lay down yours for his sake and for the sake of others. I love you guys. Let's pray. You know, on your communication card, there's a little spot where maybe today the Lord is convicting you to come and to follow him, to give up your life for his sake. Maybe it's fully, maybe he wants you to come to know him for the first time to become a Christian. How scary, but how fun is that? This new life of hope, of faith. Maybe he's calling you to that. Maybe for some of us as Christians, he's calling us to give up something of ourselves. That's the walk of the Christian is to come and die, to lay down our life that we may know him. So instead of praying over us here, as we usually do at the end, so I want to take a couple minutes, just 15, 30 seconds. I want you to pray and ask the Lord, God, what are you calling me to give up? My questioning, my doubts, my fears, my money, my talents, my relationships, my time. What are you calling me to give up? And if you would be bold, I would encourage you, write that down on your communication card, drop it in the offering. What we'll do as elders is we'll look at those and we're not gonna criticize you or judge you. I have things in my life I need to give up continually. We just wanna pray through them. Pray through those and ask that you would actually be bold, give them up for his name. Take some time to do that. Maybe you don't know what God's calling you to give up yet. That's okay too. I would encourage you to seek him for that. During the week, ask him, God, what do you want me to do to follow you? Maybe you don't want to put it on the communication card. Maybe it's very personal. That's okay too. I would encourage you to talk to someone. Talk to someone you trust. Use the accountability, the church that God has given you to be able to help with the coming and dying. (laughs) Jesus asked his disciples to pray for him. We would be foolish not to do the same. God, help us to come and die and see that in death there is life. That if we try to protect our life, we actually lose it. But if we lose our life, oh, how we gain it. Give us life, Jesus. And in praying that, I know that I'm asking that you would give us death as well. Less of us, God, more of you. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.